And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Paul Dreesen, Senior Policy Analyst for the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. Paul, it's an honor to have you on with us today. It's my pleasure, Dan. Well, you've written a number of books and articles on energy, the climate, environmental, human rights issues, and uh, today we want to talk about one of the articles you recently wrote uh, about the um, Green New Deal and uh, how that we really need a good dose of reality uh, when we consider what people are telling us to embrace. So uh, to get us started, Paul, um, I believe there was some kind of a like a seven-hour climate talk uh, between these candidates that are running for office, hosted by CNN. Maybe we could start by talking about what that was all about. Yeah, that was a fascinating thing. It was kind of a boring event, really, and watched by only around a million people nationwide, uh, which underscores how the Democratic presidential candidates focus on climate change and renewable energy is not at all in sync with where the voters are and what they think are important issues. But they basically said, we're not even going to talk about climate change, man-made, dangerous man-made climate change as being an issue. We just accept that this is fact, and we're going to look at what needs to be done to prevent this climate cataclysm. So they started talking about who should spend, who's going to spend the most money. Uh, Cory Booker started out <laughs> with $3 trillion, and then Kamala Harris and Julian Castro raised it to $10 trillion. Uh, Bernie Sanders, $16 trillion, and every, of course, wasn't once. Whatever one of them said, the rest of them echo-chambered it. So they were just pushing one idea after another. Bottom line is they want to get rid of all the fossil fuels in the United States and replace them with what they call clean, renewable, sustainable wind, solar, biofuels, and battery energy. Uh, the wow. reality is... Number one, we don't face a man-made climate crisis. We don't face anything that's unprecedented that we haven't seen many times before in Earth and human history in terms of climate fluctuations and weather events and so forth. Uh, I don't want to get into all of that today, but the other thing is, the other reality is that their, uh, their renewable energy utopia is nothing of the kind. Uh, Milton Friedman always liked to say there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> and the way I put it is <clears throat> the wind and sunshine may be free and renewable, sustainable, eco-friendly. Of course they are. But that's irrelevant because we're not talking about the, just standing out there in the wind and the sunshine. We're talking about having technologies and needing raw materials <clears throat> in order to harness what is really very widely dispersed, it's weather-dependent, it's uh, intermittent, unreliable. All that energy needs a lot of technology and raw materials in order to harness it to benefit humanity, and none of that is bio-friendly or, or is free and sustainable. Yeah, and um, let me just jump to one of these right now, because you have it listed in your article, and that is solar power. Um, it just happens to be something that I'm familiar with, and uh, years ago we implemented solar power, and we have enough solar power on a sunny day to run a few servers here at the network. 
Um, but the problem is this, and people seem to forget it all the time, is that in order to have solar power work, you have to have sunshine. Uh, you can't really have it overcast, and it certainly doesn't work at night. Here in the Northeast, it doesn't work when the solar panels get covered with snow and ice. And so um, solar power, okay, um, it puts out a little bit, not a lot, and you have to buffer it to have it work. And then you have to convert that DC power to AC, so you have to invert it. And so there's a lot of stuff in between in order to make it work, and it's just not 100% available. It, it's, it's only available for part-time. Yeah, exactly, and those are superb points. Then we're talking not just about your couple of servers, but you're talking about the entire country, 3.9 <laughs> billion megawatt hours a year. Uh, that's a huge amount of electricity. And as I said in my article, uh, you've got a place out in uh, Nevada, Nellis Air Force Base, that built a 140-acre solar system because President Obama wanted it and wanted to have a uh, photo op there. But it generates 15 megawatts of power from those 140 acres. Not too far away is Arizona's Palo Verde nuclear power plant near Phoenix, and it puts out 760 times more electricity than those solar panels do, uh, and they do it from less land. They do it uh, from the Palo Verde facility 90 or even 95 percent of the year, as opposed to maybe 40 percent from the Nellis Air Force Base, base, which is in a very sunny area. Again, no no uh, electricity generation at all on a cloudy day or at night, and especially up in places like New York during the winter. It's not just the snow and ice, but the sun isn't shining at quite the angle that you want for solar generation. So I was saying in my article that if you want to replace all of these megawatt hours that Americans consumed in 2018 for uh running the entire United States, our hospitals, our factories, our businesses, our social media, uh, our schools, our civilization, we would have to completely blanket half of South Carolina. I recalculated that. It's really more like half of Virginia, 12 million acres, with solar panels, completely cover them, Uh, no spaces even in between, and get the sun to shine at high noon, summertime, Arizona intensity, 24-7-365. Everywhere we install it. I don't don't know anywhere on planet Earth where you can get the sun to shine at high noon, Arizona intensity, every hour of every day of of the year. It's just not going to happen. No. So that gets us into the need for battery backup, which is its own environmental yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, you know I keep I still keep our system running. It acts basically like a large UPS, and so it provides some some protection there. But um, we do have batteries. We do have uh, the the deep cycle batteries, and they don't last forever. In fact, I've gone through two cycles of replacements. And uh, I've had to downsize because they're so very expensive, so they don't last too long when they're just running um, off-grid. And um, each battery is um, 415 amp hours. Um, They're about – well, they're very heavy. Uh, They're they're well over 100 pounds apiece, uh, extremely heavy to lift. 
and uh, to buy eight of them, you're about you're talking about three thousand dollars just for eight of these batteries. And I know they're not the newest Tesla battery, but I can imagine that those probably cost even more. Yeah, and you're talking again just about backing up your little server operation. Yeah, there. try to back up three point nine billion megawatt hours, oh or back up all the electricity the United States is using on a daily basis to run our entire civilization and do it for seven straight sunless days or seven, (laughs) if you're talking wind turbines, seven straight windless days. You're talking massive numbers of batteries. I ran some back-of-the-envelope calculations, and I figured out that we would need something like a billion, 100 kilowatt hour, 1,000 pound, not just a couple hundred pounds, but a thousand pound lithium and cobalt-based battery packs. That's similar to what every... Tesla car has a billion of those just to back up our power for seven days, and that would be at minimal levels. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. Uh, We often accept large numbers without thinking about them, and it's easy to get the numbers mixed up. I know this is obvious to most people, but a million with an M is uh, one with six zeros. A billion, you got to add three more zeros. And so that's a very, very large number. And and going back to your opening statements of these politicians talking about trillion-dollar spending, $3 trillion, $10 trillion, $16 trillion, that's such a large number that I, I'm afraid that the average Joe on the street can't even fathom a, a number that large. Oh, you're absolutely right, they cannot fathom that. I can't fathom that, no. really. Uh, <clears throat> nobody, in his, I mean, put it this way, $16 trillion is what Bernie Sanders wants to spend on Green New Deal. And where does, annual, he, think, where does he think it's going to come from? Yeah, the rich folks. The rich <laughs> folks. run out of them really quickly. <laughs> but think of this. Our total gross domestic product for the United States in a year is about $20 trillion. So he's, Bernie Sanders is talking almost our entire gross domestic product, oh, coast wow. to coast. Oh, wow. Just That's... to spend it on the Green New Deal to get rid of all these fossil fuels that they claim are responsible for climate change. I uh, think somebody's smoking something. Yeah, maybe <laughs> vaping, vaping something. Oh, I don't dear. have any idea what they're doing. But well, let's it, go... It's just, It's so frustrating. Just just let let me jump in with one more point here. Whether it's wind turbines or solar panels or it's these batteries or some combination of the above, you're talking about a massive expansion in mining all across the United States, all across the world, and none of these lasts. Uh, and none of these systems last more than half as long as your average gas or coal-fired power plant or nuclear power plant or hydroelectric power plant. So they have to be replaced two or three times as often, which means more and more mining. But how many of these Democratic presidential candidates or their green friends support even one mine opening up anywhere in the United States? Yeah, mining is essential. I- I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, some of these rare earth materials used in uh, wind power, I'm told, uh, are the, the mining is critical to making those big wind turbines that go thump, 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 and you can feel them thumping in your body if you get close. The infrasonic sound. Yeah, absolutely true. 
and it's not just those rare earths that uh, are needed in the wind turbines, they're needed in solar panels, and they're needed in the batteries and other components. So are cobalt and lithium. Uh, The rare earths are 100% from China. Is that right? So, yes, 100% of all these important rare earth elements come from China. Wow. They have a complete control over it, and that means we would, instead of being 40% dependent on foreign sources as we were for oil when the OPEC oil embargo was imposed 40 years ago, 45 years ago, we would be 100% dependent on China, our good friend, <laughs> over <laughs> across the Pacific yes. for our wind turbine solar panels and batteries. And they are mined in China under pretty horrific conditions, but not as bad as the conditions that provide the cobalt for the batteries. Uh, and that's something the Greens and the Democrats just don't want to talk about. Yeah, and we're not trying to be um, partial here. I mean, these are just facts on the ground, whether it's a Democrat or Republican behind this. At, at this point of the discussion, matters little, but it happens to be mostly Democrats. Um, let's talk about other forms. Uh, you, we started to get into wind power. Um, I've heard that um, the turbine blades are pretty rough on the birds, and this is a very well-kept secret by the wind industry, the energy industry. They don't like to talk about that. We're not talking birds like sparrows that are killed by cats in your backyard. We're talking about bald eagles, golden eagles, buzzards, falcons, peregrine falcons, geese, big, big-time beautiful animals of the air, hmm. as well as bats that control the insect populations mm-hmm. around our fields and our homes. And the problem with the wind turbine folks is they don't let anybody come on their property to do an accurate count, and they're very good at burying the carcasses, Uh hiding the the, uh, evidence, maybe doing a count every couple weeks, which ensures that uh, scavengers, coyotes, and so forth come in and haul away the carcasses, so there's nothing to count. But... They claim it's a only, only quote quote a couple hundred thousand birds and bats uh, a year. Uh, people that I know who do some really good work on this say it's in the millions. And in California's uh, Altamont area, where they've got all these old-fashioned smaller wind turbines, they've completely eradicated golden eagle populations that used to live there. Oh my. And if you've got a big swath of wind turbines right down the Whooping Cranes migratory route from Canada to Texas, you're putting a lot more in around our coastlines or areas uh, in the lakes regions where the gold, where the bald eagles fly, and up in the uh, mountain tops of West Virginia where the falcons and eagles live. So you're putting them right in the most important habitats for these birds and bats and wiping them out. Mm. Uh, Plus you've got, again, the natural resources that are involved in erecting millions of turbines across the United States if we're going to go to an all-wind energy alternative to fossil fuels. Nobody wants to talk about the number of turbines, the number of mines, the number of birds and bats. and as I was alluding to a little bit ago, where the cobalt and lithium come from, it's slave and child labor in Democratic Republic of Congo. 
Little oh. 40,000 children as young as four years old are laboring day long uh, in filthy, toxic environments with no standards, no safety or health or environmental standards whatsoever. Chinese operators control the mines. Um, these kids are at risk and their parents are risking cave-ins on a daily basis. They're being exposed constantly to toxic and radioactive pollution in those mines. Uh, the Greens uh, just don't want to discuss that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is uh, kind of sobering. Um, I I think about energy a lot. Maybe it's because of my background, but um, it's particularly important to us um, when storms come through an area. And uh, we live in an area where there's a lot of trees, and um, the storms will sometimes fall a tree, and it'll go over the power line and bring the power line down. And then you realize, wow, I've been very dependent upon reliable power, and I've been taking it for granted. And when you lose your power for like 10 hours or 24 hours, it, it seems like forever if you don't have a generator backup. And, you know, some people do out in the boonies, but many still do not. And uh, you get used to good, reliable power. The um, the power, what, what percentage of our power, do you know this? Today we're talking with Paul Driesen. Uh, what percentage of our power comes from fossil fuels? Uh, it's up in the uh, 70-80% realm. Okay. Um, our electricity, uh, about 20% of our electricity, as I recall, is from nuclear. Uh, about 70% probably is is fossil fuel, most of coal and more and more natural gas. And then you've got a, some hydroelectric, which is about 7%, I think. Yes. And the rest, 2 or 3%, is wind and solar. Yes. So it's a piddling amount from these so-called oh, renewable is. sources, which are not renewable and are not sustainable and are not eco-friendly. But, uh, yeah, it, fossil fuels are still, for our uh, overall energy use, probably 80%, and for our electricity generation in the realm of 70%. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's move on to biofuels. Um, I, uh, I go to the gas pump, fill up my car with gas, and I found a gas station that offers fuel that does not have the ethanol adder, and I'll buy that every time. And for my lawnmowers and that sort of thing, uh, and, you know, weed whackers, we always go with the fuel that doesn't have the ethanol added because I don't want to hurt my engine. Is that, is that a, is it, have you heard that before? Oh, yeah, and around here, I live in outside the D.C. area uh, in Virginia. It, we're hard-pressed to find a place that does not uh, offer only ethanol-based gasoline oh, yeah. or eth- 10% or more ethanol. Uh, so that's a very real issue, and it's uh, I have a gas-powered, gasoline-powered generator. I have to dump a lot of stable into that just to keep <laughs> the gasoline viable because it's all got ethanol, and it's going to go bad over oh, yeah, a period will. of time. But we had Hurricane Isabel pound us 13 years ago, and uh, 16 years ago, I guess it was, and we had no power at all for eight days. Yeah. We couldn't even drink the water because the water treatment facilities were down. Right. So uh, we decided to buy a little 
backup generator and that for that sort of thing. But when you're looking at this ethanol, you've got a fuel that's uh, it not it affects your the uh, gaskets and stuff in your small engines. Right. Um, it takes a lot of land and water and pesticides and natural gas and fertilizers and diesel fuel to produce and transport it. And you've got a fuel that gets a third less uh, mileage per gallon than gasoline. So it's not a great alternative. Uh, If you're talking about replacing all of our gasoline with ethanol, you'd have to plant twice the land area of Texas in corn. (laughs) It's amazing. I don't even like this stuff, and uh, the car runs much better with uh, non-ethanol fuel. Um, Where are we going on all this? we got maybe a few minutes left. Um, One of the things that bothers me is when people just say, oh, this is the case, trust me. We have a uh, climate change disaster coming, and yet I don't see any real data. And I know computer modeling, uh, you can make that say anything you want. And um, you've, you've got people like, um, who was it? The uh, founder, yeah, the, the, the late um, founder John Stuart Coleman of, of the Weather Channel. And he, yeah, he's he, a friend of mine. Yeah, he was pointing out that the government was putting up something like $2.5 billion a year for climate research, but they only gave the money to scientists that would produce scientific results that, that supported the global warming hypostasis. Yes. <laughs> I think is the word he used. Yeah, he's absolutely right. The money was going only to the alarmists, and then when you're starting to deal with the mainstream media and Google and Facebook and Twitter and, and YouTube and stuff, they are also censoring what you get to hear. Oh, yeah. But here are a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, with regard to temperatures, the models are off by a huge amount from what is actually being measured out there by satellites and weather uh, balloons. Right. In fact, the latest temperature measurements from those reliable uh, sources are a full degree Fahrenheit lower than what the models have been predicting and mm-hmm. what the models are saying that temperatures are supposed to be. So that's a full degree off compared to what the predictions are and what the climate alarmists are using to justify these anti-fossil fuel policies. And then you look at hurricanes and tornadoes, extreme weather. They always say, well, we're getting more of them and they're more <laughs> intense, but that's just completely false. Tornadoes, we had about one and a half times more violent F4 to F5 tornadoes between 1950 and 1984 than we've had in the succeeding 35 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, One and a half times more in the olden days. And last year, not 2018, not one violent tornado touched down anywhere in the United States. That's the first time that ever happened. Mm. So from my perspective, if, hey, if uh, carbon dioxide and fossil fuels are responsible for uh, bad weather, then you've got to give them credit for not giving us one violent tornado last year. <laughs> it's amazing. And then look at hurricanes. We went from October 2005 with Wilma until August 2017 with Harvey 
12 years with not one Category 3 to 5 hurricane making landfall in the United States. Hmm. Never happened before. The previous record was nine years set during the Civil War era. You know, I think what we see, and you'll probably agree, is a slow pendulum-like modulation of the weather, where it gets worse, it gets better, gets warmer, gets cooler. Uh, That's kind of the model I have in my head. Yeah, and that's been the case throughout history. You go through these cycles, but if you're going to buy into the global warming hysteria and you're going to warm up the temperate zones, that should bring less violent weather because it's going to mean less temperature differential between the continental United States uh, with the weather and the uh, cold air coming down from the Arctic than uh, the warm air in the Gulf of Mexico and the low southern uh, Atlantic. It's that mixing of very warm, moist air with the cold air that causes the thunderstorms, the oh, yeah. tornadoes, and so forth. Uh, and as to what causes hurricanes, we still don't really understand all <laughs> the various forces that go into making a hurricane. So to blame a hurricane, especially the first one in 12 years on global warming and fossil fuels, is just bizarre. Now, uh, we're out of time, but if someone wants to read more, uh, can look you up online. Can you give us a website, Paul Dreesen? Yeah, there's not a Paul Dreesen website, but <laughs> three places carry almost everything I write. One is townhall.com. Go to the columnist section. Second is cfact, C-F-A-C-T dot org. And the third is probably the most visited climate-related website, What's Up With That, and it's spelled W-A-T-T-S, upwiththat.com. So those are great sources, and climatedepot.com is also a great resource for good information on all these topics. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Uh, This has been enlightening, and probably there's some listeners that don't agree with all that we covered today, and that's fine. We don't take it personally, but uh, Paul Dreesen is Senior Policy Analyst for the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, and uh, their address again is cfact.org. Paul, thank you so much for spending your time with our listeners today. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thanks for having me, Dan. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer 